Hello and welcome to the Science of Footy podcast. You're here with your hosts Liam and Bill, and Bill, footy's back for the men's this week. Yeah, absolutely. We'll kick things off with the JLT this week, although no one really gives a shit about JLT, so we're going to start off with AFLW. <laughs> um, AFLW, yeah, round four um, closed off this week, so we've got a pretty good idea now who's sort of looking like they may make the grand final. Um, first game we had was Dogs, who got the win over Carlton in an emphatic fashion, winning 12-14-86 against the Blues 2-1-13. Yeah, the Dogs absolutely put the Blues to shame and Brooke Lachlan had one of the most impressive games we've seen by an individual um, this season and probably in the league in general. She kicked seven goals and three behinds. Yeah, she was incredible kicking seven goals, which is the most we've ever seen in the AFLW. And everyone thought that maybe Katie Brennan's loss in that forward line would be a big problem for the Dogs, but she stepped up and kicked seven and um, two good kick three as well. So they had plenty of goal kickers and what was the uh, highest score we've ever seen in the AFLW with 86. So we ran some uh, quick maths and uh, we think that seven goals, considering the time that the games go for in the women's, roughly 20 minutes with a little bit of time on, compared to the men's games can approach 30 minutes per quarter. So it's roughly two-thirds the length, which means seven goals is about equivalent to kicking 10 in the men's, which is very impressive indeed. To add to that, um, the Coleman leader at the time was on six goals from three matches and she's come out and kicked seven in one and shot to the top of the leaderboard. So it's just uh, far and above everything that we've seen from a women's in terms of a solo performance. If I'm not mistaken, the old goals record in the women's league was held by Darcy Vesco, I believe, with four goals in one of the games last year. Yeah, she had that in the first ever um, AFLW match in the season opener um, against uh, the Pies and she kicked four but sort of hasn't been able to hold that form since. Yeah, so this season, Vesco, or this game rather, she's only managed three touches and no scoring shots, which is obviously quite disappointing. And her season goals for this year, I think she's now kicking at about one goal every two games. Something along those lines. So she really didn't step up, and especially with no Bree Davy and no Taylor Harris in this game, she was the star player for the Blues and um, really couldn't get her hands on the footy, which was disappointing and one of the major reasons why the Blues had such a poor output on the day. So one of the things I liked from this game was uh, Ali Blackburn giving a little cheeky thumbs up to the Blues defenders. Um, I'm always big on, you know, forwards getting in the defenders' face when they've, you know, kicked a goal, done something good. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, I think I saw that. So I think the defense made a bit of a blue and uh, led to a goal and she was very happy to tell them all about it. A little bit of a cheeky thumbs up there. One of the other Bulldog stars, Emma Kearney, has sort of cemented her spot as one of the best in the league. Saw an article on the uh, AFLW site um, saying all of the uh, teams of the week. So the AFL puts together a best uh, best team of all of the players that played on the weekend. And Emma Kearney is the only player who's featured in every game so far this season. So she might be a sneaky chance of um, one of the best players in the league. And it's definitely a little underrated, I think, especially considering the multiple stars that are there in that Bulldogs lineup. So I'm pretty certain that she's found herself second in the leaderboard for the Coaches Association Award at the moment. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure she's second. Yeah, so she's getting noticed by the coaches, which is good. But um, yeah, I think she's just had such an impressive season. She had 26 touches on the weekend and just been amazing. We'll move on now to Lions versus Fremantle, which is a very wet and scrappy game up in Queensland. A lot of rains there recently and I've got more of a gripe I, you know I don't mind the wet weather football too much my main gripe here is with the stream I tried to watch this game on the AFL website it's absolutely terrible <laughs> um, just dropping out every two minutes and uh, yeah I just really didn't get to see a lot of what I was there to see brutal but yeah I think Brisbane got what their like seasoned downpour in the couple of days beforehand so it was really wet footy um, I think even the men's intra-club match was cancelled because it was too wet for it so really really raining conditions 
Yeah, and it definitely showed on the day. Um, very scrappy affair. The first quarter, we had one behind kicked uh, to Fremantle, who really dominated the first quarter in terms of locking the ball inside their forward 50. Had nine inside 50s to one, um, but just weren't able to get a score on the board. Uh, Wushna, is that how you pronounce it? Has been really, really good on the consistent goal kicking for Brisbane all year, and she managed two goals in what was a low scoring affair. A couple of little, little toe pokes along the goal line, and um, she was important on the day. Yeah, 18 touches and two goals for Wush, and just very, very smart footy player and good positioning. He managed to get on the end of a, yeah, like a few quick soccer goals, which is always impressive. On the Freo side of things, uh, Donnellan was probably one of their best players. She got the double-double, the classic 15 touches and 10 tackles. So she was uh, having a crack in there, which was good to see from the Fremantle side of things. The Lions had a few stars on the day who helped them get up in the end, 22-15. to 15. One of them was Talia Randu, who absolutely killed it in the ruck. She had 33 hit-outs to Elisa Jans, the Fremantle ruck person's total of 11. So more than three times the hit-outs there. Yeah, immense for them. And I think um, in terms of the coaches' votes, uh, Lutkins was the one that came out with the best on ground, the perfect 10 votes there. Yeah, Lutkins was great. Um, just a lot of desperation in the back line, a lot of spoils. And so 18 touches for her and very good touches too. Um, she used the ball well and, as you mentioned, got the 10 coaches' votes and now she's sitting on 22. So she's only behind Kearney on 24, Randall on 26. Um, if you'd have asked me which Lions player was likely to feature in the top three, I probably wouldn't have given you Luckin's name at the start of the season. I definitely wouldn't have given you Luckin's name at the start of the season. So very impressive by her. Lions now find themselves second on the ladder um, along with the Bulldogs at the top. And so they've got a box seat at the moment looking towards that grand final berth. Yeah, that's right, Liam. The Lions have put themselves in a great position to secure a final uh, next week, actually, as they play Melbourne. So that'll be a very important game to shape up who's going to get into that grand final. Yeah, that's your classic eight-point game right there with the D sitting just behind on third place. So a win to them might be uh, the difference between making the grand final or not. If they lose, they might be close to out of the race. Just before we move on, I will note uh, one last player who played quite well for Brisbane was Nat Exxon once again. Uh, it's a joy to watch the uh, the long-flowing mullet move around that field. And uh, <laughs> She was she was in it, in it doing the tough stuff. Uh, kept bobbing up on my screen, 14 touches and seven tackles. Very impressive once again. Next game we'll talk about is uh, one of the biggest upsets we've seen in the AFLW, which was Collingwood getting over the Red Hot Ds. They won that game 9-4-58 to 3-6-24. Yeah, so I actually didn't catch this game live. I uh, re-watched it, re-watched the highlights, but the reason I didn't watch it live is because I just thought the Demons were going to crunch them. Yeah, wasn't the case, and it all happened after quarter time. Then Pies kicked nine goals to the Demons one after that quarter time break. So I don't know what happened to the Ds there. They might have taken their foot off the pedal a bit and thought it was done and dusted, but nine goals to pile under one was just a huge turnaround. Michael Daisy Pierce, very quiet. Unfortunately, only nine touches, and obviously the stopping job there, one of the major reasons why the Pies were able to get up. Yeah, I think uh, Bonici, if that's how you pronounce it, was the one who got the job on Daisy Pierce. And the great thing to see was that she not only kept a great player like Daisy to nine touches, but got 13 herself. So she really won that battle and was a big part of the uh, win for the Pies. One of the good things to see from this game was Mo Hope getting back in a bit of form, kicking two goals, three. Yeah, it goes two goals last week and uh, two goals this week. So she's back into some great form. And um, that's good to see after she was a bit under the pump uh, being dropped earlier in the year. One other player I want to touch on is uh, Chioki. Um, absolutely incredible. She's an absolute jet. She was close to best on ground for me. And um, that goal she kicked from 40, short, sort of got the ball and did a spin move and kicked it from 40-45 and just slotted it through. She's all class and she's one of the best players in the league. Last game for the round was GWS versus the Crows. And in a surprising result, we had our first draw for the season. 
Yeah, this was one of the most amazing games. I watched it um, live and you saw that when you talk about a game of rain, it poured so much rain that every time the players hit the ground, there was that big splash of a puddle. It was just no one could get a hold of the ball and it was just absolutely incredible to watch. Yeah, tough contest in the wet. Uh, obviously conducive to a lot of tackling, Liam, and I understand that everybody in Marinoff has absolutely destroyed the record for tackles here. Yeah, she got 21 tackles. Absolutely incredible. Like, just to put that in perspective, in the men's league, the record for tackles is 19. And in the women's game, as we said before, it's about two-thirds of the length. So equivalent to the men, she's got 27 tackles when the record for the men's is 19. It's just absolutely unheard of. Yeah, more than double the next highest player on the ground, who was Emily Delpos, played very well for GWS, picking up 12 touches and 10 tackles. But yeah, Emily Marinoff picking up more than double the next closest on the ground. I'm pretty sure we talked a few weeks ago about, I think it was a Collingwood game, and they had seven tackles for their team. So Marinoff was just out there, just just smashing everyone. And we've uh, we've complimented her before for a great field kicking. So it is uh, very nice to see her obviously doing the tough stuff as well and just showing that she's definitely one of the best players in the league and will be for many years to come. So it's a bit of a disappointing game for the Crows because they really should have won the game. They were just piling on behind after behind at the end of at the end of the match in the fourth quarter. They had all of the run of the play and they just couldn't kick a goal. Um, one of the most important moments of the match, um, the Irish woman Staunton sort of had uh, the ball and had to throw it back to the Crows player on the full. And instead of doing that, she just put it on the ground because she didn't really know all of the rules. Gave a 50 meter penalty took the Crows player to about 20 metres straight in front and kicked another behind, and that was the difference between the win and the loss at the end of the game. Yeah, very disappointing result from the Crows' perspective. And Liam, I'll ask you a question. Is it time to route out the Crows for defending their crown? Looks like it. It looks like they won't be able to make it now. They're in that sort of bottom bracket of teams. Um, the draw didn't really help either of these teams. Um, came out during the week that one of the Dogs players, um, O'Connor, was asked the question, and she said that draws don't really have a place in this women's game where... You have to be top two or it doesn't matter. So draws are pretty much as good as a loss for them. And she wants to see golden point or extra time or something. Um, what do you make of that? Yeah, they've got a point. I mean, obviously with the short season, it's important to get those wins on the board and, and having a draw could really play against you. So definitely something the AFL could look into over the season. Not only that, but it could be something that's very unique to the women's game. I mean, we don't see it in the men's and it could be a really good opportunity to trial it because it really is important to get that win rather than a draw. Men's season, they have so many more games that the draw maybe has a bit more of an important place. But in the women's, I definitely would like to see maybe the extra five-minute quarter to separate it rather than the golden point. Um, then maybe if it's still tied after that, you can go not run the siren until the next score, sort of like they do in the um, grand final decision now. Um, but yeah, I would like to see that changed personally. So we'll see what the AFL decides there over the off-season. If we're riding the Crows out of the grand final, Liam, who do you think are the clubs that are really pushing for that grand final spot? I think the Dogs are really well-placed on top of the ladder at the moment, obviously, but um, from that big win they had on the weekend, that's a 200 percentage they've got themselves sitting on. Um, next in second place is Brisbane, who, as you mentioned earlier, have a really good chance of making it after the Demons this week. They think they have GWS and Collingwood, who are down the bottom of the table, so they're looking pretty good. Um, but yeah, it, anything could happen, and it really might come down to that um, Demons-Brisbane match this weekend could really decide a lot of the season. We almost forgot to go through our tips from last week in the uh, Women's League. We ended up tipping the same, if I remember correctly, Bill. Yeah, so we put the same tips in, which means we obviously got the same results out. And we tipped the first two games correct. We got the Doggies over the Blues, both got the Lions over Fremantle, and then dropped the game Pies over the Ds, didn't get that one. 
And then we're going to count it. We got the draw. Um, we're going to count that one. So three out of four for both of us. <laughs> yeah, why not? We'll boost ourselves up there. Um, so round five tips, we'll put those in now. Um, first game, we've got uh, Demons-Lions, which should be a great match down at Casey Fields. I think I've got a couple of tips to get back on you, and I'm pretty sure you go to Lions. So I'm going to tip um, the Demons at home. I reckon they'll be coming out breathing fire after their performance last week. Yeah, easy tip for me. Um, Lions, obviously... One, because I go for them, and two, because they're just the best team in the league. So, easy tip, lock in the Lions. Next one, we've got a really interesting game for mine, which is Fremantle v GWS, but it's over in Frio, so I'm going to have to lock in the Dockers. Yeah, I think uh, I'm thinking along the same lines here, Lee. I'm going for Fremantle. They were pretty impressive against the the Lions last week, and as impressive as GWS were, um, to get that draw with Adelaide, I think I'm going to lock in Fremantle. Next, we've got uh, Norwood Oval. We've got Adelaide versus Carlton. And the way Carlton performed last week, I just can't go near him. Um, Adelaide for me. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty similar here. I'm going with Adelaide as well, and, and not just because you tipped him. <laughs> Final game of the round, we've got Collingwood versus the Dogs. And Dogs, you can't not tip someone that kicked the record score that we've ever seen in the league. It's got to be the Bulldogs for me. Yeah, once again, easy tip. Um, Doggy's just looking phenomenal. Last weekend, and obviously, uh, they're my tip for this week. So it looks like the only difference we've got is Melbourne and Lions. Um, if you get that right, I'll be down three early in the year. If I get it, get that one back, it might be uh, close runnings going into the last few rounds of the year. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with myself. Two tip lead at this point <laughs> in time. Uh, just, just really dominating. So uh, look forward to taking that three tip lead next week. All right, we will turn our attention now. And even though I earlier claimed that no one cares about it, we will speak a bit about the JLT. Challenge game. So the first up, we had the Demons smashing North Melbourne, one hundred and twenty-four to seventy-one. Yeah, absolutely crushed them. So maybe that's a thing to come with the Demons being projected to go really high into the top eight this year, and North to maybe be towards the bottom of the ladder. And it's sort of seen that way. The D's were all over them, and um, not only were their stars playing well, but they had a couple of lesser lights that really stood up. Um, one of the ones that took my eye was Neil Bullen, who was one that we mentioned in our burning up the track episode where. Everyone said he was winning all of the time trials and looking really good, and he kicked two goals to go along with his 19 touches. Yeah, he looked really good. And another one that I'd like to mention is Jake Melksham. Um, he had good ALX form, and now he's come in, got 19 touches and kicked a goal and just looked in very good nick. So hopefully he can play a role this year for Melbourne. I think the forgotten man for me is Jesse Hogan. He only played 10 games last year for a Demons team that should have been playing finals. And to have him back every week will be a good boost for them. And he kicked three goals, most on the ground, and he was really good. Yeah, also with three goals, Bailey Fritsch. I think that's how you say it. Fritsch. Yeah, I think we'll go with Fritsch. Yeah, um, three goals too, and just got in amongst the play quite a bit. Um, for the super coaches out there, I think he managed about 80 points, so probably one to look for as a rookie at the start. And he's just carried on his form from last year, really. He was in the VFL, but played 19 games and kicked 42 goals. Yeah, so much of the same for him. He's used to kicking that sort of a score. And not only that, but I saw him mark the ball just out of the goal square and give the handball off to his teammates. So I'm sure the coaches love that. But he could have kicked more than four goals on the day. And he should play from round one in that forward line. And as you said, as a forward rookie and super coach, he looks like he'll be a really good moneymaker for you. One that we're thinking of taking off the Supercoach watch list is Angus Brayshaw. Had a bit of a disappointing game, um, 13 touches, and didn't look like he was getting a lot of midfield time there, Liam. Yeah, everyone thought that he was back, and he's sort of at that middle price in Supercoach and might be sort of destined for a good year over his concussion issues and looking good. But with players like Viney not backing this team and him not really playing too much through the middle, um, maybe he's one that won't get the touches to be that sort of a player for you this year. 
Speaking of Supercoach disappointments, I've uh, logged on to my team and taken LDU out, uh, switched him out for Brayshaw over at Freo because he's only managed 12 touches, no marks in one tackle, a little underwhelming for mine. It's funny how preseason games can have us jumping on and jumping off players in a heartbeat. This poor kid's playing his first game, but yeah, no marks and one tackle is not really Supercoach star-studded sort of form from LDU, so it's a bit underwhelming. I'll have to wait to watch him play. I'm sure he'll get a game again in next week's match. And then we'll have to reconsider. But yeah, he's not really living up to the price at the moment. Is there anyone, Liam, from the game from North that I should be looking at? I think Billy Hartung was a bit surprising. Um, 17 touches and two goals. And he really just looked like the best player out there for North. He looked like he accumulated a lot of the ball in those AFLX games. And I think that he'll be a really important player for them. A lot of midfield minutes are open in that um, North Melbourne team. who's sort of going to be down to the bottom of the ladder and... um, He's got a lot to prove. I think that's the biggest thing for Hartung is he's got a lot to prove to the competition that he can play at a high level, and he really did that on the weekend. We're talking about Supercoach. I had a few of the Essendon boys that I was looking at closely, some of their trade recruits, uh, Stringer, Saad, and Devin Smith. How did they go, Liam? On the Saad side of things, he started off the game on fire. It's one of the most impressive first touches I've ever seen from a player. He got the ball on half-back line and streamed through the middle and kicked a long goal, just burning everyone off. And that's the sort of pace we think will really fit in well with the Essendon game plan. And he looked really good on the day, I thought, using the ball well by foot as well. Yeah, definitely saw that clip of him streaming down the field. And uh, I have a feeling that we're going to hear a lot about how he's upped his level this year, you know, now that he's playing in front of a, a big Vic audience, even though he's been doing it for years on the Gold Coast. Yeah, that was his sort of main play at the Gold Coast. For anyone that watched him, he'd have points in the game where he was like, this is my ball and I'm faster than everyone. Streaming up the field will only get you about the 20 touches out of the back line each game, but he's a really solid player. And I think you're right. I think he'll be labeled as this excitement machine now he's down in the uh, primetime audience. How about the other boys? How did you see Stringer's first game in the um, in the sash? So pretty disappointing. Um, only six touches and obviously expecting more. I think he copped a knock to the head at one point, bleeding from the head. Yeah, yeah, he copped a bit. Well, he's got a run up. First of all, he's running with the bleach blonde, high ponytail top, weirdest <laughs> hairstyle. A lot of people like having a go at him on the Twitter because he's meant to be staying a bit out of the limelight and not getting in front of the camera. And then he goes and pulls one of the most ridiculous hairstyles. So everyone notices him. But um, on, the, on the ground, he really didn't get into it. He was in one of um, the most midfield minutes for the Essendon team on the day and still only managed those six touches. So it really doesn't bode well for Stringer um, maintaining those midfield time come the season. Essendon as a whole struggled a bit, only managed to kick 37 points and really just got walloped by the, the Tigers who kicked 19-10, 124. So worrying signs for Essendon? Worrying signs, but it's still preseason and there's still a lot to get out of this game. Um, one thing that they will hang their hat on is that Zach Mera got concussion at the start of this game and didn't really play, so he'll slot back into that middle. And having him not there allowed people like Devin Smith to get that extra midfield time, and he was outstanding, 26 touches and a goal. He was the one for me out of this trade group uh, of players that they brought in that will have the biggest impact for them this year and going forward, and he looked like an absolute jet out there play up forward and in the middle and is just all class so as we just mentioned the uh, richmond did it pretty easy uh, kicking almost 20 goals liam should i be expecting them to go back to back when they put out that sort of performance you don't see why not i mean they they crushed them that's the only way to put it and they did it with their own injuries as well i mean nankervis went down with concussion himself uh during this game so they were even without their um number one ruckman for part of this game made it look easy dustin martin was doing everything he wanted cochin was playing well their small forwards were kicking goals even the ones that we sort of aren't used to watching kick those goals um 
it, it was a class performance from a class outfit. I would maybe say it's more of a testament to everyone overestimating Essendon this year rather than everyone underestimating Richmond. So as impressive as Richmond were, I was a bit disappointed, Liam. I had Jack Higgins penciled into my midfield for uh, for Supercoach, and he's only managed the five touches. Yeah, everyone thought that he was the Supercoach king from his junior days, always getting tons here and there, and um, he was ready to play, but he sort of hasn't taken to the level as quickly as most people would have assumed. And from uh, quotes coming out of the coaching staff down at Richmond there, quote, hoping that he pushes for a game come the middle of the season. So it doesn't sound like he'll line up there in round one and is one that you should maybe look at taking out of your Supercoach teams. So not good news there for Jack Higgins, but some good news for people who have been keeping an eye on Corey Ellis. He attended the most center bounces of anyone for the Tigers with 18. Yeah, and he had a huge Supercoach score. Um, he's that just over $200,000 player in the back line, so maybe someone to look at. Back line doesn't really have a lot of good uh, low-priced players this year, so people who are looking at the Riley Bonner-style sort of more expensive defense option, maybe Corey Ellis is one to look at if he keeps getting these midfield minutes. Who's to say whether they'll maintain when we get to the regular part of the season? But um, it looks like he'll be one of those players slipping into that extra spot that opens up from, say, your Rioli being out of that lineup. Yeah, at the moment, there's a uh, Graham Birchall-sized hole in my back line, so could potentially be one to fill that position. We'll move on to the next game, which was the Crows against Freo, and the Crows managed to get that win 13-13-91 to 12-9-81 in a relatively close affair. Yeah, story for me here is that Nat Fife looked back to his best. 27 touches and two goals floating around the ground. Very impressive performance. We really got to see two of the best midfielders in the competition going at it. With Fife, as you said, he was incredible. We saw in the international rules that he was back and he looked like one of the best in the competition, back to his best. But another one I'd like to say is Matt Crouch, who he couldn't get away from the footy during that match. He got 36 touches and he's the sort of accumulator that you could see doing really well in Brownlow earning this year. Another big midfield name, Bryce Gibbs, slotted in seamlessly to the Crows' outfit, had 28 touches and kicked a goal. Very impressive performance from Bryce. It's a really interesting addition, this Bryce Gibbs um, move. Losing Lever, we saw Dede play a really good role in this game, um, which we know was part of the resources that allowed them to get a Bryce Gibbs into that lineup. To have a Sloan, Gibbs, Crouch, all superstars in that middle, to have a Dede to maybe replace that lever sort of close as like to like and to have Gibbs being a huge improvement on whoever else would have been in that last midfield slot. Um, I reckon the Crows will be better for it this year. As you mentioned, Dede there had 16 touches and five marks and really looks a lock in the Supercoach back line. Um, played very well and looks like he'll be playing every week, I think. You spoke of him a bit earlier, but um, Brayshaw in his first game was really impressive on debut with 14 touches and six tackles. That's the sort of inside midfielder performance that um, the Fremantle Dockers are really looking to have someone do that every week. Now that they're moving sort of the Monday into the forward line and that sort of um, change in their midfield. So to have Brayshaw, he looks like he'll line up from round one and get actual midfield minutes for that team. One last one for the Supercoach lineup. So Cam Ellis Yolman missed all of 2017 with an ACL injury and looked very impressive in this game, played pretty well. Yeah, very interesting addition to this team. This Adelaide team's looking really deep. That added Gibson from North Melbourne over the trade period to add depth to that middle, and now you're getting someone like Ellis Yolman who's who's back and missed all of last year, and he looked like he could slip into this team for injuries or for a bit of depth um, as well. So I think the Crows lineup's looking very deep at the moment. The last JLT game for the weekend had a bit of prelim deja vu for Port going down against the Eagles, uh, 56-54, to very similar scoreline. 
Might start getting in their heads a bit, I think. I can't wait to see this matchup during the year. You're right, two games in a row, one being a preliminary final where uh, the Eagles managed to get over the line by less than a kick. So it's a bit of the same old there. A few impressive players in this game. One that I'd like to mention is Jack Redden, former Brisbane boy. I uh, thought he'd do well when he moved over to the West Coast and hasn't really done so great in his first two seasons there. But now with Prittis, uh leaving and opening up a midfield spot, he played pretty well in this game. 26 touches and seven tackles, kicked a goal and looked back to his best. Yeah, he had two or three really consistent years for Brisbane before he left, and then his two years at West Coast were sort of underwhelming, but maybe that was just because he was pushed out of his regular position by that Prudis-Mitchell sort of setup that they had going on there. And maybe if he's the man now, he's back to being, you can be that tackler, you can be that contested possession player in the middle. Maybe he'll be back to um, back to his best. One player who's now a lock in my lineup is Dom Barry. I just looked really composed on the field, 20 touches and kicked a goal playing off the halfback flank and a bit in the middle. Yeah, so he's sort of had that position running through both the midfield and halfback that's been up for grabs in the summer. So Riley Bonner, who's sort of done a little bit of that, was more playing on the wing. Saw players like Trengove, who came over from Melbourne, being in that role. But it looks like Dom Barry is really the one that's going to step up and be more important for Port this year. Another young gun that we saw on the day was Liam Ryan, who played his first game in the Eagles' colours. And he kicked the first goal of the match and tried to take some of the biggest hangers I've ever seen, even though he didn't grab them. And I'm going to really enjoy watching him this year if he keeps trying to stand on people's heads. Yeah, very keen for the specky, uh, Liam Ryan there. Some unfortunate news for Port Adelaide. Robbie Gray's come out with a one-week suspension for a head-high hit on Jeremy McGovern, uh, which he left him concussed and playing no further part in the game. Yeah, so given one week for this one, it's very controversial reading all the comments on your Facebook, etc. Because Gray obviously was second to the ball. He braced for impact and hit McGovern in the head, which a couple of years ago, they had a big precedence of we're going to protect the player with the head over the ball and that's going to be suspension. Last year, it was very hit and miss where some people got weeks, some didn't. And um, Port Adelaide's actually decided to challenge this decision and go to the tribunal, which is the first one we'll see. Because this year's change in the um, tribunal system means that they're never going to risk Gray getting two weeks rather than one. The only risk they have is if they lose, they have to pay $10,000 to the AFL. Definitely sounds like worth the risk there for them to challenge, although sneaky suspicion that maybe the AFL is just going to make a cheeky 10 grand here. Sounds like uh, just a weird system. I don't want to see everyone challenging every single decision because their players don't have the uh, potential of getting more weeks. I see more clubs, especially the bigger clubs, being very happy to take that chance. And personally, I think that McGovern was the first person to the ball. It should be on the other player who's late to the contest. The onus should be on them to not come in in a reckless manner that will leave that player injured. So I think this sort of contact should be a suspension. And if it turns out to be overturned and be no weeks, I'm going to spend all year complaining about the match review panel yet again. think you were going to do that anyway, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, one final player we'll mention um, from this match is that we had a couple of games later in last year that we sort of thought Motlob might be back to his best and when he got traded he could be a good pickup for someone but he was back to his old self on the day. He had eight touches at 37% efficiency, three clangers, no tackles, zero goals won. He was not very good. Yeah, so it seems like with Motlob the more things change the more they stay the same. Unfortunately, um Speaking of, we're going to be doing something different now and looking back in history. So we were having a bit of a discussion talking about who's going to win the flag this year. Obviously, it's very hard to tell. So we thought maybe we'd go back in time and look at the past to try and predict on the future. And thought maybe we'd look at the season from 100 years ago, uh, the 1918 season, and see whether maybe that could shed some light on who's going to win in 2018. And I've had a look up, Liam, and 
Turns out that the winners in 1918 were South Melbourne, 9862, defeated Collingwood, 71557 in the grand final. So I guess the Sydney equivalents are from back in the day, and Sydney looked like they'll be a very good team this year, actually. I think that they got off to that slow start last year, but stormed home to be one of the best. And you have lots of players like Hanabry and Parker who can really lift on their output from last year. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're top four. So yeah, I could see it. Yeah, so South Melbourne in 1918 had a very impressive season. Uh, they've won 13 games, lost only one, and finished with a percentage of 143.1. So if Sydney can replicate that, it'll be very impressive indeed. It was a bit of a different game back then in 1918, though. First of all, we didn't have the full 18-team league then, but also when we look at some of the major statistics from the year, we see some pretty big differences. Leading goal kicker, for example, Earn Cowley. First of all, Earn, we don't see that name ever. And second of all, uh, 34 goals for the leading goal kicker. I don't think we'll ever see that one again. Yeah, 1918 also predating the Brownlow. So back then they gave out the Champion of Season Award and that went to Jack E. Howe from South Melbourne. What a jet. Yeah, Jack E. Howe. <laughs> know him well. It is, he's good. Good stuff. Big factor in that premiership, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so it was a very different competition back then in many ways, Liam, as you mentioned. Uh, only eight teams and... They didn't get their players through the draft like they do this day and age. They got their players through the zone systems. So just reading an excerpt here from an old article, it says, Each club had its stronghold under league zoning. Collingwood got the boys from Ivanhoe out to Eltham, while Carlton has Brunswick and Coburg tied up. Fitzroy looks to Northcote and Preston. Geelong, St Kilda and South Melbourne have their own local territories, while Melbourne stretches its tentacles through South Yarra, Toorak, Hawthorne, Kew and Camberwell. Essendon operates locally and also recruits through Maribyrnong and Flemington, while Richmond works into the Malvern area and beyond. Yeah, a bit different today, although we do see some of those zones going on for, you know, the new GWS boys, and we have, you know, famous zoning situations like the Brisbane zone, which got changed recently. There was the whole Nick Rewalt was just outside their zone, and then it got changed, and they had other great players which sat just outside that zone and so we have a bit of the zones going on still today but yeah definitely not how it used to be where sort of your local boys were your local heroes for your club so for me Liam the the most disappointing aspect of that is finding out that if we had grown up in this time um, you raised in Ivanhoe and myself in Heidelberg we both would have been zoned to Collingwood Football Club that is shattering um and uh, I'm not sure that I could have ever played the professional brand of football, but if I knew it was for Collingwood, maybe I would have turned it down anyway. All right, so we said the Swans um, won the Premiership 100 years ago. Well, last year, the Tigers won the flag. What happened the year after Tigers won the flag last year? Maybe that'll give us a bit of an insight into who's on the rise this year. So the last time the Tigers won the flag was 1980, so we're looking at 1981. And the winners in the flag this year were Carlton, 92, defeating Collingwood, 72. So Collingwood <laughs> losing another grand final there. Uh, yeah, well, maybe this uh, maybe this approach isn't the best one if it's got Carlton winning the flag. I really don't think we'll see that this year. So Carlton finished top of the ladder as well with 17 wins, 5 losses, and a percentage of 130.3. Liam, you don't think they can do that this year? Uh, probably not. I think it's more likely that they go winless. No, I'm sure they won't do that. But without Gibbs and without... Doherty in that team. Um, if they finished on top of the ladder, I would eat my hat. There you have it, folks. Liam on record is potentially eating one hat. Um, <laughs> looking at the 1981 season, there's a few names here that we know a bit more than Ern Cowley. Uh, leading goal kicker Michael Roach for Richmond kicked 86 goals, and the Brownlow medalists was tied between Bernie Quinlan and Barry Round. The other thing we can note is that this was the last year where it was a Vic-only competition where we saw the South Melbourne football team move up to Sydney the following year. So 
I guess before last year, the last time the Tigers won the flag, it wasn't even a national competition. So I've just flicked the page here to look at the 1982 statistics and the grand final winners once again were Carlton. 14-19-103 defeating Richmond, 12-13-85. Well, back-to-back for the Blues, I suppose. That's what history says. So I think Liam might be right. We're probably not going to see Carlton win the flag this year, although with the even competition we've been seeing over the last couple of years, one thing we could potentially see is a repeat of 1981 in the sense that in the last round, there was 19 possibilities for the finals going into that last round. And um, yeah, seven teams fighting for five final places in that final series. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that this year when I'm looking to make my top eight. I've got lots of teams around that sort of end bracket. You know, you got your Melbourne and your Essendon, your St. Kilda, hopefully all sitting around that sort of similar on the sort of bracket mark. you Maybe you're going to see West Coast drop out, but they've got a lot of personnel change coming in this year, so maybe they're fighting to stay in. So a lot of teams that are hoping to jump in, Hawthorne, Collingwood. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of a lot of jostling in those last few rounds again. Yeah, so it is a very even competition at the moment, as you mentioned, and we're sort of struggling as ways to come up with uh, predicting who is actually going to win. And uh, as you can see, we've gone to history books, but Lim, maybe there's a better way? Yeah, we might look at seeing if we can put together some sort of being the science of footy boys, we might try and take the nerd approach and build some sort of statistical model, take a few different variables from the previous seasons to see if we might be able to find a way to scientifically analyze who's likely to finish where this year. Predictions on whether we're going to do better with the modeling aspect as just looking at this book. I mean, Sydney's a pretty good tip. Yeah, I don't know. We'll wait and see. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if our random tips from how we're feeling might come out with a very similar level of accuracy to this model. But who knows? I mean... If the model says that something along the lines of, you know, your home teams win a lot or that these teams beat these teams a lot and you can run those through sort of the fixture of this year, well, maybe we will get a good idea of who's going to finish where and where to put our money um, from the tipsters. Something to look forward to and hopefully we can do better than just looking at a random year. Although, as I mentioned, I think City might be a pretty good tip, so we might be up against it. What we might also do coming into the future is give a few tips from just our random thoughts for the year, a few bold predictions, who we think might finish where in sort of the Coleman race, the Brownlow race, just some big outlandish claims for you guys that we can follow throughout the year and um, check how wrong we are. Yeah, definitely. I've got some very bold predictions uh, locked (laughs) away, Liam, so we'll get to those another week. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks for joining us on Science of Footy. 